it is the dream of the challenger to become champion. The crowning achievement in a lifetime of yearning. It is the dream of the champion to aspire to excellence, his legacy indelibly etched in the annals of time. Shawn Michaels, the confident challenger, a maverick who spits in the face of adversity. Bret Hart, a triumph of tenacity, the mighty ring general who stands in defiance of defeat. Tonight, for one illustrious hour in the Iron Man match, we will witness their passion, applaud their heroics, marvel at their gift to enthrall. Two craftsmen engaged in an extraordinary athletic event. Two men bound by the dream. After 60 grueling minutes, one man, exhausted, will have his arm raised high. The quest realized, the challenge overcome. One man, expended, will breathe loneliness. Unwilling to surrender, he will have been stripped of the dream. I tell you what I want to do, actually, what I want to start with. I wanted to talk about Roddy Piper's WrestleMania track record. Do you know what? Let, let, let's really think about this, right? He, Roddy Piper's WrestleMania matches. So we've got WrestleMania, Hulk Hogan, Mr. T, Roddy Piper, Paul Ondorf. Okay? Classic. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Stone Cold Classic. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> we've got the, the boxing match with Mr. T. Then we've sure. got, yeah, then we've got Adrian Adonis. After that, we then had his <laughs> Bad News Brown. Then we had Bret Hart. And then we have this. Now, I'm just going to put it out there that he has the worst WrestleMania ma- uh, record for, for for just performances. Just utter atrocious. And this hey, in- there's two classics in that list, definitely. Well, bollocks are they. Bollocks are they. And this includes... There's at least one. Mr. T was a classic, definitely. Those were all dog shit. <laughs> and this includes a list that, do you know what? WrestleMania... No, 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 no. hang on. Hang on, I'm going to have to stop you there, Matt. Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper is not dog shit. It's a very good match. No. Uh, (laughs) And this includes a list that has featured WrestleMania matches, which, you know, fucking hell, WrestleMania matches have actually had the big show versus Aki Bono in a fucking sumo match. And do you know what? I'd watch that a hundred times over any of Roddy Piper's matches at Mania at this point. I am so happy that other than the odd appearance here or there, this is definitely the final match we will see of him at WrestleMania. Thank God for that, because this was just abysmal. Joke's on you, Matt, because coming in 2024 is the random wrestling review review of Starcades. So you'd have to do all of the Roddy Piper stuff post this WrestleMania. I'm done. I, I'm done. <laughs> You're completely wrong, Stephen. What it's going to be is every match Roddy Piper's had on pay-per-view, actually. Yes! That's what it's going to be. Right on. Um, <laughs> any, any more Piper stuff comes up, that, that's it. I'm done. You know what, Matt? If you'd have turned around and said, right, okay, here's, there's also Brett Piper, which is an exception, but you know what? That's cancelled out by the <laughs> performance he did with Morton Downey Jr. and that stupid segment with Brother Love. Oh. Then I'd have been, I'd have been on, I'd have been on side with you. I'd have been like, yeah, fair, fair enough. But you lose all credibility by calling that not a very good match. 
you are right about everything else. Although actually, I do, I will dig in here. The main event of WrestleMania is fine. It's a good match. It's not bad. It's a good match. WrestleMania, the first one was bloody awful. But yeah, that, that's again. Go back and listen to it, guys. WrestleMania one sucked. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't the universal opinion of that show, by the way. But it was the correct one. But anyway, um, <laughs> Piper's uh, WrestleMania record, just. Oh, just no, just really bad. I put at the end, Goldust rolls out of the ring, Marlena covers him up and they run off. Piper has one question mark? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't seem to matter. The Hollywood backlot Raw is no longer in a backlot. It's just in front of a crowd and uh, we've had this whole kind of strange segment. It's, it's strange. So, so if, there's no, if there was no countdowns to that, then does that mean that the match is still going on to this day? <laughs> yes. Possibly. Oh, oh, oh well, Roddy's dead, isn't he? So I just realised that. Oh, yeah, shit. So, <laughs> so, 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 so has Goldust actually won then? I guess so. <laughs> I'd um, actually forgotten that. I was about to crack a gag and I was like, actually, hold on a second. It's not going to, he's, he's, he's tapped out, unfortunately. Is, yeah. is, I want to say, this is the Fuck. random wrestling review, okay? There are things we don't make jokes about, but dead people's not one. You can make jokes about dead people, it's fine. Um, <laughs> God, I said that. Like, wow. Matt's buried him for the second time. Crazy. Um, <laughs> see, I don't, it's fine. Welcome once more to the Random Wrestling Review, and today we take on WrestleMania 12, the night where Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels fought in the 60-minute Iron Man match. And for such an occasion, we have a couple of golden boys whose metal will be tested as they steal themselves for this one. They are the Polar Bear, Matt Roberts. Gentlemen. <laughs> he gets so excited, he starts moving furniture around and everything. Now it's crazy. Like, slams something down on the table, quickly get my salute going. I'm on. <laughs> It's just a shame this is not a, a visual podcast because that would be uh, something that a highlight would be every single week. We also have with us Stephen Coriander. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm well, gentlemen. How are you both? I'm not sure I'm going to bring the, the hand gesture from the bonus show as a regular feature, I don't think. It's, uh, I'm a little bit too embarrassed to go there again. Well, that bonus show may have happened after this one, so who knows? Oh, okay. Well, maybe. Sense. <laughs> this, is the, <laughs> this is the problem, see, with us recording. I'm trying to record a number of episodes in one so that we, we've got backups and all kinds of stuff that we can release as and when and i just don't know when when they're coming out so that may all be complete nonsense to our viewers apologies for that tough that's the way it's gonna go get on with it move on and get on with it and if, like listeners just uh just appreciate us acknowledge us actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the head of the table i'm the polar bear here today so we have got wrestlemania 12 a show Stephen, that you in particular have been absolutely dreading for a number of weeks you've made it very clear uh, on the show in fact that you've been dreading it so why don't we start with your expectations for this one I mean last time I was on the show I had to suffer through Bret Hart's championship demise at Wrestlemania 9 and this week <clears> I had to digest the boyhood dream coming true <laughs> disgusting disgusting are we going to deviate from our Wrestlemania specials and do maybe Survivor Series 97 or perhaps even better Starcade 99 for the complete <laughs> Bret Hart decimation and um, my expectations were through the floor I should say around this time so we, we've talked about this, Ben. I know this is kind of in, when you're really into this, when you're, you know, your first sort of run watching WWF. This, I was watching almost no WWF. And I, was, I was watching pretty much no wrestling. And the following month after this is when Nitro started on TNT UK. First of all, 
I guess it was already two hours in the States by then. So we got an hour edited version and I got back into wrestling and then WF the year afterwards. So my expectations were low and my memories of this show were really low as well. So I knew the end, but I couldn't remember too much before that. Yeah, I mean, I, which I, w- I will say that actually my original run began 94 and I have watched wrestling ever since, either casually or full on. And from 1994 through to 1999, I didn't have cable or Sky at my parents' house. So I mm. didn't have any access to watching anything other than what I got on VHS. Yeah, yeah. Now that very much ties into my expectations because we did get this recorded by someone, can't remember who, someone in school recorded it. I got it. I was like, yes, put it in the video recorder. No sound. No sound uh-huh. at all. So I have, the first time I watched this show, we watched it with no sound on a VHS. And as you can imagine, a 12, 13 year old oh. watching an, an hour long match, which had never been something I'd had to do before, with no sound, wasn't exactly the best introduction to WrestleMania 12 for me. And I think since then, I've only watched it a couple of times. The last time I watched it though, I didn't watch the whole thing. I did just watch the Iron Man match and I quite liked it. So I was like, well, let's see. With the rest of the show on top of that, I might really suffer here. I don't know. But I was quite eager to see how this one translated this time around. Matt. I have never seen anything to do with this show before. Not a clip, not nothing. I I, I knew the results. Well, I I knew the result of the main event, but I I knew pretty much nothing about the rest of the show as well. So I was quite quite interested to see what it uh, it was going to be like. I mean, I was definitely looking forward to, to the main event so we could have uh we could be discussing that because i'm sure that's going to be quite the the conversation that we're about to have surely but yeah i, I was actually quite looking forward to this one so surely you have seen Shawn michaels what what do you, what do you call it zip oh, wire the, yeah i've probably seen like clips of the entrance that's about it yeah 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 i was gonna say that's the kind of iconic moment from this show in terms of the lasting clip that comes out of it um of course as well the other thing we've got to straight away mention i'm not going to go through from the start to the end but we should mention right away because it's a big big thing for our listeners big thing for me as everyone knows no fucking america the beautiful instantly <laughs> instantly minus seven on the old score score system i mean what the fuck are you doing guys come on get get it sorted yeah it's not hard it takes three minutes put some nice patriotic clips no that bollocks fine i don't care <laughs> America the Beautiful, good stuff. Off we go. We're, we're, all, we're all on a good foot if you do that. You just put me on the back foot if you don't do that right from the get-go. So that's going to piss me off right away. <laughs> so, Matt, you are right, because we've got to talk about... There's only one, one thing we can talk about straight away. There's only one thing other than America the Beautiful, obviously. And that is our main event for the night. Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. Iron Man match. Go 60 minutes. No falls take place. Then Gorilla Monsoon deems that there must be a winner. Drags Bret back to the ring. We have an extra minute, effectively, of action in which Shawn Michaels hits two switching musics and pins Bret Hart just before we go on the plural of sweet chin music is that sweet chins music or sweet chin <laughs> musics I think it's sweet chins music but I'm not entirely certain sweet chin music sweets chin music oh I don't know about that <laughs> I don't know about that that sounds like a bar <laughs> I think it's got to be sweet chins music but I don't know for definite it's it's a difficult one because it's it's a name so I guess it is sweet chin musics but it just doesn't sound right at all it just sounds all wrong so I don't know what to do here I don't know whether to throw to Stephen first because he's been oh, so God. he's been so outspoken about it in in recent weeks that I feel like I need to. But at the same time, I kind of want to get a new perspective. So what I'm going to go with Matt. I want to hear what Matt thinks of this match. <laughs> what, where do I start with this one? Right. Okay. Um. Foot right. Here's where I'll start. <laughs> 
I, I know, I know. Here's where I'll start. I admire what they were trying to do. Looking at it on paper, the idea of Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, for an hour, sounds really good. It didn't quite work out that way in practice. Now, I'm not going to say that I thought that it was a bad match, because to be honest, I actually didn't think it was that bad. And, you know, it wasn't bad at all. It was actually not bad. Even in, I didn't say it was good, okay? I've been conditioned, and in all fairness to Brett, like I said, as we all know, I'm not the biggest Bret Hart fan in the world, but I have been conditioned to, to certainly appreciate his work. And you know what? It is pretty damn good. So I was actually expecting better. So And I didn't quite get that. Now, obviously, hindsight it's so easy to, to certainly look back and say oh you know they should have done this they should have done that but there are so many different ways that this could have gone that would have been better now it, it probably was hard to tell what the crowd was going to think of it but, but let's be brutally honest the crowd didn't give a shit and until towards the end which is a gigantic shame to be honest and um, they really didn't care like i mean because they had an hour obviously both guys really really tried to work the most sort of scientific style that you can imagine and really tried to pace themselves like you know you're talking probably like 20 25 minutes of of trading headlocks and things like that which certainly for your casual fan is just boring as hell now i i can certainly appreciate that having seen a ridiculous amount of hours of wrestling you guys potentially can as well but again the, the casual viewer is probably just gonna be bored to death and that's a lot of the the people who attend wrestlemania so it, it just took far too long to get going and, and I again this is using hindsight but if they were going to go with the idea of wanting to have an Iron Man match you know somebody should have just said no and because the, you know the stipulation being an Iron Man killed the match dead because people were expecting multiple falls you know at least one before the end of the 60 minutes if they wanted them to go 60 minutes fuck it just say to the pair of them cool you've got 60 minutes get out there and do your thing and I think the reaction would have been completely different but the fact that people were conditioned to expect pinfall submissions, that type of thing, just killed it dead. Because until you got down to, I'd probably say maybe the last 10 minutes, that's when people really started to care. It just wasn't working out. Like I said, they tried. They they really did try. I, I think the whole purpose of it being an Iron Man was, uh, and to go the 60 minutes, was to try and make Sean look every bit the equal to Brett, which... I gotta be honest, I kind of think they failed to do it. You know, you guys will be able to say better than me, but I'd lo- I'd love to know what the build-up was like for Sean prior to get getting to that match. Because watching it at the time, I was thinking it, it felt like he was a total underdog, and it didn't even it, it didn't seem right seeing the two the two of them face off. It, it seemed quite awkward, and you know, I was thinking, huh, Brett should probably beat the shit out of him, and that, that didn't necessarily happen. So yeah, it it, it was definitely polarizing to, to a lot of people is, is probably the phrase, but I, I did didn't mind it. it it definitely it didn't work they tried yeah it was it was it was all right I'm, I'm going to sort of interject in here and here and there because this is, is a long match and I want to kind of just make sure we really get every perspective we possibly can cool. on it. So we'll come to Stephen, your thoughts on on the match in the in a minute. But in terms of the Iron Man stipulation, you said they shouldn't have done it because ultimately it meant it built up certain expectations. Bear in mind, though, that they booked it not necessarily to make it the best match ever, but to sell lots of pay-per-views. Now, in fairness, that didn't really work in the end because this wasn't particularly high level uh, pay-per-view buy rate. But that's surely the bigger indication of whether it's a, a mistake to put this stipulation on rather than the quality. The quality ultimately didn't really matter. I mean, ultimately, if everyone came out of it saying, oh, that was a bit disappointing. So what? You're likely never going to use the match again anyway. I mean, they've used it maybe a handful of times since. 
but you know ultimately you're likely never going to use it again anyway so no one's going to be like oh i can't watch that again because that'd be really boring because you're not going to use it again anyway so surely the point is this offer the match let's make it let's market it as something really epic because it's between these two and then we never return to it and i think my problem from that perspective that choice is nothing to do with the quality and it's all to do with the fact that they are selling it on the prospect of it being a great match and i hate that i just think it's bad selling of a match you don't sell it on that basis you sell it on the basis of who's going to win who's going to lose yeah I, I get i get what you're saying in, in terms of selling it on in terms of the quality of the match but yeah like i said for me it's just the the, the crowd just it was just so obvious they just didn't care and, and i just really feel that they they just shot themselves in the by you know not having like any fours i mean again i think even if they did something along the lines of because i particularly feel they were quite conditioned within the last sort of 10 minutes they were really thinking oh okay maybe we might finally get a fall and i think that would have made the excitement of the match a lot better to, to the people in attendance and certainly at home as well because there, there were a couple of near falls towards the end which really did sort of you know get people going and, and maybe that would have been something and, and it would have made it more entertaining who knows but uh yeah like i said it, it didn't work well Stephen, before we give it i throw to you I'll give you Pat Patterson's uh, viewpoint. This is from 35 Years of WrestleMania, the old mm. coffee table book. Pat Patterson, who came, was the originator of the Iron Man match. Pat Patterson looks back. It was a dream match of mine that I always wanted to see go an hour. The only two guys in that era that could do a 60-minute Iron Man were Brett and Sean. I'll tell you something else. Vince didn't want to do it. He was concerned that people would get bored because of the match's length, which happens if you don't have the two right guys. We had the two right guys. Stephen. The one right guy. <laughs> so this was the first time ever on a podcast where I thought I, I literally thought for a moment, do I actually watch this again? Because I, I didn't I didn't think that anything that I was about to see would change my mind on what I thought from watching this match two or three times over history. I, I tried to watch this back probably five or six years ago and I legitimately fell asleep. So um, you know, and that's not a joke. That is, I was sitting in my old flat in Wimbledon and I fell asleep watching this match. So yeah, that said, I did watch it again. For what it's worth, going before the match, they had a like a background video which I thought was really poor Shawn Michaels excruciating babyface mode promo and Brett's wasn't much better so I'm sure you'll cut to this in terms of the we'll talk about this later in terms of the whole production of the video package I thought this was from WWF was so good at this this stuff was really poor and um, they tried to make it feel massive with referees instructions I can't ever remember seeing in a WWF match before which is a nice touch but this didn't get a ripple from the Anaheim crowd at all they just weren't into this the best thing of the whole match was when they I think it was Tony Chimmel was acting as timekeeper and he was super kicked to death by Shawn Michaels and Vince shouted oh no but the first 30 minutes of this match kill it so the first 30 minutes were so bad that whatever they did in the in the next 30 minutes you can't make up for that 30 minutes because like a play or a film if the first 30 minutes or first 50% of it are so dreadful you're not coming back and saying well that's the film of the year even if they were and they never got that they never got to that space where this is like match of the year for you know for 1996 or whatever but they just didn't get there and the latter WWF Ironman matches were so much more exciting with multiple falls and I just thought like you said Matt this was the, the completely wrong way to go with this and and the finish was really perplexing you're, you're trying to get Michaels you're trying to get people behind Michaels new champion Brett is going away so why have Brett fans think that he was robbed by your new top baby face because Brett was robbed in this if this had no time limit Michaels is submitting in that sharpshooter or he's got always always passing out he's not getting to the ropes and that that is I just don't understand why you're why you're doing that I know you want to build for a return 
return. But they had no intention of turning Brett Hill here. And I don't know what Vince was thinking with this. They should have done this. If they're doing it this way, this should have been like a two out of three falls match. Maybe have Brett get Michaels in the sharpshooter early. Michaels submits because, he, you know, he's, you know, whatever. Because that's that, that's a thing in two out of three falls when the, the, the baby face can tap out because they want to survive. Get Michaels to have a pin and then let him roll him up. Let him roll him up with five seconds to go. Shake hands, etc. I thought Sean's post-match facials were barely believable after telling Brett get the fuck out of my ring so obviously what a nice guy this guy was I just thought I didn't I didn't buy this at all and I never really this is this is the bit actually where it was worth watching again because I'd, I'd never really noticed this before but Michaels was like he's just like such a cock it's like how do you get behind this guy there's nothing likeable about this bloke in 1997 whatsoever and Vince McMahon bloody hell embarrassing himself out of like into different stratosphere by shouting celebrate if you can at Shawn Michaels like you're embarrassment Vince absolute embarrassment and to be honest this whole post-match made me feel sick actually nauseous at this disgusting disgusting booking disgusting choice of new champion disgusting treatment of Bret Hart that we would had year after year after year just an absolute bag of shit wow there you go. He's laid it down. He's dropped the mic. He's walked out. He's thinking of dumb. <laughs> it's all. It's all happening. So where do I? Where do I start with this? There's loads to unpack in my view. So let's start with the end because I I do agree. I think this is a really silly end to a match, and I don't really know why. Because as you said, they might want to build to the return of Bret Hart, but as far as I understand it, Vince didn't even know Bret was coming back. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. So Bret was going away for six months. He was going to take some time with his family, do some other stuff in you know TV world and whatnot. And at that point, his contract was going to be up, and there was going to be some kind of you know negotiation. Negotiation. At that time, they they thought he may even negotiate with WWE, which he actually did do at that time and got a pretty solid offer from them. And Vince had to counter it. So there was no guarantees he's coming back. So why are you trying to protect him so much? And in fact, it makes you wonder if they'd have just put Shawn Michaels over clean and then Brett had decided to go to WWE in 1997, how different life would have been, <laughs> how different life might be if that had all taken place. But yeah, so I don't know. I agree. I, don't, I have no idea why they protected Bret Hart here. They've already protected him. He's just been in the ring for an hour. You don't need to protect protect him anymore have Shawn Michaels get the victory within the 60 minutes if that's what you want to do I completely agree I think the, the end is, is silly I think in terms of the iron match stipulation and whether it does anything for the match no it really doesn't it doesn't help at all and I think the reason is if you imagine like think about football right football works in the same way as an Ironman match works right effectively you've got a time a certain amount of time and you've got to score as many points if you like in time to beat your opponent most football matches end or the decision is really made before the 60 minute mark and certainly the vast majority you know is going to win by the 85th minute of the match some matches that changes but very rarely it's not a regular occurrence in wrestling it's conditioned that your end has to be the raging climax has to be that big conclusion so you're always going to get to the end of one of these matches either one nil one all or I say one nil a gap of one I should yeah. say or this or them be equal so you know that as a fan if they don't get any falls <laughs> then it's going to come down to the final few minutes and if you still then don't deliver that's going to massively impact your um, ability to sort of say this is a good match saying all that this is my favorite viewing of watching this match so far watching it this time I think as I've got older I've appreciated slower paced stuff more and more so there was a match at King of the Ring 96 we reviewed King of the Ring 96 I think last year Shawn Michaels and David Boy Smith obviously as part of this Shawn Michaels' run for, as the, the champion where they go through it's about 25 minutes both Tom and Old Man really dis disliked it I thought it was really really good they basically went through kind of similar what they do in the first half an hour of this match where they have a little exchange a little flurry then a rest hold of some 
mankind. Then another flurry, then another rest hold. But the difference in that match was that the gaps between the flurries gradually decreased and the flurry of activity got more elaborate and more exciting as it went. It just built superbly, to, I thought, to a really good end. Brett and Sean are trying to do the same thing here, but they're trying to do it over the course of an hour and it's too fucking long because that means for the first half an hour or so, you have to be going really slow. Otherwise, by the end, you're going at 100 miles an hour. What's also disappointing is that I think at about the 25 minute in mark, so with 35 minutes left to go, they do then have a period of about 15 to 20 minutes of actually really good action where they have big moves aplenty, they have loads of near falls where the fans actually do start to get into it for a bit. And they get to about 17 minutes where this really, really action packed bit happens where that's where the super kick happens to, I don't, I'm don't, not sure if it's Tony Jumbo, but whoever it is. But there's also loads of other like really big moves, really cut impactful moments. And then at 17 minutes, they slow down again. Mm. And it, there's then a 12 minute lull in the match where nothing really happens. And for me, it's that 12 minutes that completely kills this match because what they should have done in that 12 minutes is have the fall. That's the way yeah. I feel like it. If they wanted to slow it down, have the falls, slow it down that way. You could have two or three falls, make it 2-1 or something. And then you, you're okay to slow it down. And it's only when they hit the five minute mark, they then take it up a gear again. But by that point, you kind of, you've been knocked out of it. If you hadn't, if you'd managed to get through that first 25 minutes and you still kind of invested, which I was, if you get to the 17 minute mark, you then get kicked out. If, as long as you're not already kicked out of it before that point. So for me, that was where it really, it really took a nosedive. Saying that, I still thought what they did was really good. And that, that sort of 17 minute period, 18 minute period between the 35 minute mark and the 17 minute mark, I thought showcased exactly what this match could have been and probably should have been. It just was after a 25 minute stretch of really slow, quite dull stuff that I was able to sit through. And I think, again, there's a sort of sense of you have to be in a mindset to watch a match like this. You can't just sit down having been dictated that you need to watch it at a given time. You really have to get yourself in the zone to say, right, I'm going to sit down and watch this. I did it with uh, Greg Valentine versus Bob Backlund, 60 minute Broadway that they had at Ma- Madison Square Garden somewhere from 1981. And again, really quite enjoyed it. But I think it was probably really boring, but I still quite enjoyed it. So for me, for me, the big problem is that that gap after about 17 minutes through to about five minutes to go, it's just not really great at all. Can I throw Present- out a potentially controversial opinion just on go that? For it. Yeah, go for it. Because I've, I've, I've seen 60 minute or I've seen a 78 minute match, actually, where I don't think either people were either guy was doing too many rest holds in what I consider to be the best match ever. Was their cardio not up to it? Was Brett and Sean's cardio not up to it? They had a hard schedule back then. Yeah. But something in it, one of them or both of them, and I you know, I won't throw a spurt cast aspersions to where I think it might have been. It's kind of party guy of the time. But if they're gonna do a 60 minute match, you, you, you I was listening to the um WrestleMania eleven one earlier when I was talking about talking about uh, draws. And da- Danielson and um, Paige did a really good sixty minute match that went to a draw. A really, really strong sixty minute match. And that was great. And I don't, I watched that live and I don't, I don't, I can't say I can remember that minute by minute, but there wasn't a lot of resting in that. They were at it and their cardio was better. And I, I know that this is a different, you know, we're, we're talking about some time on and, you know, maybe athletes a little bit better. And we talked about training methods and recovery and all that sort of stuff. But were these guys just not up to doing this at the time? I've also seen Sting and Ric Flair go 45 minutes and that was better than this. And the Steamboat stuff was, was pretty long as well. So were they just not there? I think my inkling is to believe that they just understand underestimated what they could do yeah i think they tried too hard to save themselves in the first 25 minutes of the match and didn't need to go that far they could have done more and i think at the end you can see it like you can see that they're not 
they're not puffing they should no. be absolutely blown up by the end because you know just like a for example a time trialist in a in a cycling race you basically measure effort so you put in everything for as absolutely long as you can and at the end you should have absolutely zero left to give yeah they weren't at that point they were they could have gone another 20 25 minutes no problem at all i feel like so i think that's more like it it's that they it wasn't that they weren't conditioned to do it they just underestimated yeah what they could do and i think that colored the first 25 minutes and you say it's very hard to recover from that if you've gone yeah. 25 minutes and the match is dull it's really hard to recover i slightly disagree with the idea that they didn't the fans didn't care like i felt like they cared don't get me wrong they were quiet but understandably so there's not a lot going on but i don't think that necessarily re- translate to they don't care i think it just translates to this isn't something that's going to get people out of the seats but they're just quietly watching they're just they're just you know observing this match as it plays out and it's a very i remember hearing bret hart talk about his match with benoit and the memorial match for owen hart when he was saying that you know on nitro basically they came out they started their match no frills people were sat down they were quiet they weren't really kind of they weren't massively into it but gradually the fans got into it as they watched the the, the art form unfold so it's a very bret hart thing i think i don't think he'd have minded that and I, as i say as the match went on i felt like the near falls did get the necessary kind of excitement and investment from the fans it's just that i guess also watching it retrospectively you know the result you know what's going to yeah. happen it's even yeah. harder to reinvest in the the journey that these two people are on so yeah there's, there's a there's a lot in there I, as i say i used to slate this match a lot and just as much as you did Stephen, before you know in the in the weeks leading up to this i don't feel as negatively about it as i used to i think this is actually a really good match it's just it's just not great and i think you're expecting absolute classic from these two that's the biggest problem and again that's my problem with the way they sold it is they're selling it as if this is going to be an instant classic yeah and i don't think you should ever sell a match on how good it's going to be i think you just you sell it on the concept of who do you want to win and let's see this play out one of these two guys is going going to show that they are the best by the end of this night yeah. that's what you should always sell your your matches on and there's too much about the quality of it that's being sold here yeah. and so when they don't deliver a classic it instantly is rubbish and I, th- I think i was in that category for many many years but i think having watched it the last time and this time i feel like this is a very good match it's just not a classic like brett and sean should have been capable of and would have done probably if they'd just been given a regular 25 minute main event yeah. contest and this is probably the time they were best placed to do it so there are the two matches there are the two big matches if you like one was at Survivor Series 92 when Sean wasn't really quite there at that point and certainly wasn't main event level and Brett was still struggling to really kind of establish himself as the main event attraction and the other time was Survivor Series when obviously we yeah. know what happened there so this was their chance and it they kind of didn't happen which is a real shame I'll give you Brett's perspective on some of the match now there is some stuff about him talking about the build-up you, you mentioned this Stephen where Running on ice roads or something while Michael yeah. super kicks people and flips off things and upside down press ups and stuff so he says i was training on my own really hard when the wwe camera crew came up to film my vignettes i just got home from india and was pretty banged up i see sean doing the rocky thing and he's looking really fit and of course he had three months to do this the first thing they did was film me on the icy bike paths of calgary so they could get the city skyline i could run back then but it was all ice like a hockey rink then they went to my house to film me with swimming laps in my pool and i thought it was a good idea until i remembered that i could barely swim so then the (laughs) final segment they take me out to my dad's house and they want my dad to train me like they had Jose with Sean I can only imagine how this is going to look to the fans they show Sean so fit and so primed and I don't look like I'm going to be anybody but it was still a fun experience so that's the build up then this is how he views the match again this is through the lens of WWE and I give you an example of the lens of WWE there is a picture of Sean on the zip wire coming into the arena there's insert to that a picture of Vince McMahon 
on the zip wire and a caption underneath Vince McMahon never asks a superstar to do anything he wouldn't do oh piss off so so I thought I'd just give you that the view of that so didn't get lowered from the ceiling on a on a on a thing that was designed for boats, so did he, Vince? <laughs> so Brett reflects. You can take all the wrestlers from previous generations, the Jack Briscoes, the Harley Races, and the Dory Funks, and I don't know of any two wrestlers that ever cut a pace the way Sean and I did that day. It was a real testimony to both of us as athletes to pour it on the way we did. And I will say one thing about Sean: he was amazing. He took a lot of punishment in that match. It was always stand out as the hardest match I've ever had. I remember looking at the clock, seeing 4:59, and thinking, I can't believe it. We did it the match was so perfect sorry brett i love you <laughs> i love you and i always will love you but you're wrong, you're wrong. Wow, whitney, this is whitney, not even top 10 of your career no, it? whitney houston's just turned up um <laughs> <laughs> once, her, once her music back so a, cu- a couple of peripheral things around this match I wanted to quickly discuss so first of all Jose Lothario so this was a feature of Shawn Michaels in 1996 as world champion what do we make of his association here on screen with Jose Lothario this was a new thing happened sort of end of 95 beginning of 96 kind of weird out of nowhere suddenly the guy that trained him is in his corner regularly come the end of 96 of course he had the match at Survivor Series where Jose Lothario gets hurt and then he wins back the title at San Antonio for Rumble 97 gets injured and we never see him again basically what's going on here if Sean hangs around with his dad people won't think he's such a cunt (laughs) no no actually going back to that thing about him seeming like a cunt so I agree the way he acts after the match is so unbabyface like it's mm. untrue. Forget what he says about Brett because you can't see it. You can see him talking to Earl. You can see him. He's a bit pissed off about something. But you can't really see mm. what he's saying. But it's the bit when Earl is affixing the title to his waist after the match. And he's having a bit of trouble. But first of all, you're a babyface. Why are you getting the referee to do it? Don't be don't be a weirdo. Just do it yourself. And secondly, then he pushes him away. <laughs> he, gets, he gets fed up. He gets fed yeah. up and annoyed of, of, of Earl taking so long about it. So he pushes him away. And like, you're supposed to be the lead babyface facing the company you're supposed to get people to like you how's that ever going to be possible if you do stuff like this the, the thing Joe, you know what i'm sorry matt i'm just going to jump in i'm actually going to defend sean michaels here for a second because you Fuck know it. i know <laughs> so, so strap yourself in but what was sean here 30 31 Stephen, what was that Stephen, what was that strap yourself in yeah that's strap right sean michaels <laughs> strap yourself in don't get someone else to do it yeah exactly do it yourself but actually this guy i put a lot of this on vince this guy in 1996 and he proved in 1997 was not capable of being the WWF world champion whether it was substance substance issues probably mental health issues as well this guy was not capable of this role and and Vince McMahon picked him for this role and it never worked it never worked with Sean particularly Sean's comeback was incredible it was such a good I used to like really enjoyed Sean Michaels post 2002 and all that time and he was a different sort of character and it was great brilliant you know really like him not fit to lace Bret Hart's boots in any way shape or form but really good performer 100% but this is I don't I, in a way I don't really even blame Shawn Michaels for this it's so bloody obvious what's going to happen here that Shawn you just couldn't do business with Shawn oh I've lost my smile and I'm not going to do this job and I'm not going to do that and I'm doing this and doing that it's like Vince that's you that's on you it's so obvious just like it's so obvious it's not going to work with someone else on this show it's so obvious it was It was so obvious it was never going to work with Shawn Michaels so that's what you get if that's not red flags all over the place why are you continuing Continuing to pick this guy over Bret Hart. I'm sure you probably both read in Bret's book, the creative that was supposed to be from, I think it was from like WrestleMania 
WrestleMania 13 onwards, where Sean beats Brett like four times in the space of 12 months or something, and then Brett wins at the end, and and Shawn Michaels beats him again. It's like, well, obviously no one's going to want to do that, are they? So it's like, like I just don't, I just don't get it. And I feel like um, Matt, this might annoy you even more to be honest. I don't think that MJF has got substance issues or mental health issues, and if you know whatever, but I think that Tony MJF is Tony Khan, Shawn Michaels, to Vincent Mann in 1996 because oh, he's not, he's not the guy. <laughs> he is not the guy. He's not the guy, and it's not going to be quite so bad for them because even though WF is on the up or WWE is on the up at the moment but sometimes people pick the wrong person and that was WWF in 96 and AEW in 2023 Matt I'm going to give you a chance to respond <laughs> but try and respond more heavily on the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels stuff rather than MJF though you obviously can say something about MJF I just don't want to get into another conversation about MJF we've done it enough I'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's all good oh my god no. to be honest with, with a lot of the, the sort of Bret and Shawn stuff at, at the time I, you know I, I haven't seen a lot of it for the time, so it's a, it's a lot harder for me to, to sort of, you know, to, to speak on it. But but in terms of him being the guy, I mean, like, at least it's weird for me to say this because I I've never really been that much of a of a big Bret Hart fan. But like I said earlier, for, for me watching when I watched this, it, it felt Bret versus Sean felt it, it felt strange. There was something about it that, that didn't quite feel right, and and like Sean felt like a big underdog. And yeah, I mean, like I was a massive fan of Shawn Michaels 2002 onwards, and um, we'll get there eventually but when we do you'll hear how big a fan I was of him but it, it didn't feel right so to, to be fair yeah the, the way that the whole finish went down I'll be honest I can't say I, I don't really get the whole thing with, with you know I see nothing wrong with the ref putting the belt around his waist I mean fucking do it you know well, whatever that couldn't give a shit about that <laughs> but he I get it if he's a hill I think it just I just think it, basically Shawn Michaels is seen as a cocky guy that was his character for the first three or four years of a single wrestler you just need a bit of humility somewhere and that's a that's a place for the humility to seep in so that, or at least not to back it up like you don't like this guy because he's a cocky shit yeah I mean the, the you know the, the shove of the ref and that yeah you, you could tell he was pissed off and everything but I, I tell you what one thing very quickly that, that I did you know a different sort of angle um, if you don't mind that, that I did want to sort of put on this and, and this kind of reflects the show uh, this show as a whole as well like I, I know we mentioned in a while back Ben like, I can't remember the exact WrestleMania it was you know where you said you felt like it was a real turning point for me this show as a whole is probably the biggest turning point I think that I've seen throughout doing these shows. This really felt like a change. And there was a point in this match where, you know, it might be a little thing to some people, where, but where Brett hit a pile driver. Uh, very nicely done as well, I must say. And, you know, Sean kicked out of it. And do you know I Just only a little thing. But when I saw it, I thought, oh, wow, hang on here. Based on a lot of the stuff that we've seen, um, you know, in a lot of the past WrestleManias up until this point, that would have been a killer. That would have potentially put somebody out of action. And they kicked out of it and that I was like oh right okay you know that's you know that did feel like a you know a bit of a change it was like okay we're going in that sort of direction now where like people are sort of used to today I suppose with more kickouts and false finishes and that type of thing so I do feel that that, that was an interesting point in the match I'm not sure what you guys thought I think that might be more just down to we've got an hour to fill and we need to create some drama I'm not sure and don't get me wrong Brett did it on Owen at WrestleMania 10 and Owen kicks out so it's not like a new thing necessarily. To be honest, I, th- I just think if there were other people doing pile drivers, and I think obviously Undertaker was doing it, but there weren't too many others doing pile drivers of, of the time. If they were, though, they weren't doing them the way Brett was doing them. <laughs> it made Brett, the way Brett did them made it look like it would genuinely kill you. So, but I get, I do get your point. I think that there is a slight, there's a change in wrestling style that starts to come across here, probably more than anything else. I think the roster still largely is the one that kind of was 
was set up in those first three matches of WrestleMania 8. Still, Brett, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, they're still the main baby faces of the promotion. But maybe, yeah, maybe the style, the, the wor- way people are working, yeah, I can see that, definitely. So there was one other thing I wanted to touch upon about the main event. The commentary was interesting here. So you touched upon it, Stephen, with Vince. And I think all the way through, actually, he's quite annoying here. And I'm usually the biggest defender of Vince McMahon's commentary of all. But he is annoying here, mainly because he is so determined to put Sean over in his commentary. And I'm like, just put this effort into booking the match better. And you you don't need to do that. Like, you've just the reason you're having to do this is because you're about to book the match so poorly in terms of getting Sean over as the main babyface. And also he himself is going to undercut it quite significantly with his actions. Whilst Lawler, I thought on commentary, was excellent during the main event. There's even one bit at the beginning where they're talking about the fans and they're saying, oh, the Laura's saying, oh, all the click hate Bret Hart and the Bret Hart fans hate Shawn Michaels. And Vince is like, oh, no, they're, you know, they're fans, they're fans of the WWF. And I'm like, no, that's bullshit. And And that's not how you book wrestling either no one's a fan of shouldn't be a fan of promotions this whole thing is this is the whole problem with the whole AEW WWF nonsense every single day on Twitter is that we're fans of promotion oh, fuck off that's just yeah. stupid completely agree Ben <laughs> hallelujah that's so fucking stupid if it's something's good like it if something's shit slag it off it, it doesn't it matter does. who, it, who it uh... does. <laughs> yeah, to- totally agree and, and here you want fans to invest in Brett or Sean if you're really lucky you can get them to invest in both but not when they're fighting each other and not not when they clearly dislike each other. So you can't have it every way. You build up your stars so that the fans invest in them and specifically want to watch them. That's the golden rule of pro wrestling. There's nothing else. You can attract a baseline of wrestling fans by having them invest in your company as a whole, but it doesn't go as deep as in getting them to invest in individuals. That's where you really make your money. That's where you really make stars. UFC does exactly the same thing. There's there's people who follow UFC, but you make your money out of people being followed as individuals individuals that's when you get your spikes when Brock Lesnar gets a million buys it's because it's Brock Lesnar it's not because it's UFC and that's the same for boxing that's the same for everything so that bit really was pissing me off and he and he was trying to hit that note a lot whilst Lawler was like well that's not true it's about you know the Brett fans and the Sean fans aren't going to like each other and they don't like the other wrestler and so I found his commentary quite enlightening all the way through because he was also talking about how you know he he was he was kind of bringing that kind of sense of this being a sport he was talking about how Sean was out wrestling Brett in the early going and that was a surprise and that was what Brett was going to lean on was his wrestling and he's going to take Sean off his feet all that stuff so I really appreciated Lawler during in his commentary during this match and on the flip side Vince was just incredibly annoying and I just thought like you could prevent yourself from having to be this annoying by just booking the match bear and then speak for yourself for itself I think we've uh, just about kind of explored every potential angle we could possibly explore for the Iron Man match and uh, Stephen you'll be glad to know that's that's it now until your summary of this show you won't need to um you won't be, you won't need to think about it again and then that's uh, sorry ben i was just thinking let my mind wander to all the people that Shawn michaels beat after this show and just thinking because i feel like matt you the bret hart you've got isn't what i think you should have got i think uh john cena is not an amazing comparison but if you think if you think john cena from this is how i think brett should have been booked so if you think john cena from what 2005 but people loved him and he beat everyone for two or three years that's i think what you should have got for bret hart i think that's what Bret Hart should have been but actually Shawn Michaels in the year after this beat British Bulldog Diesel straight away didn't he uh, he beat uh, Vader and then he lost to Sid and won it back so it's like you know how much did they throw at this guy and Bret didn't Bret was constantly in disqualification double DQs against The Undertaker and two with Diesel and he couldn't beat him it's just like anyway sorry Ben we, we should move on as I'm desperately searching for my plug as my 
laptop's about to run out of battery. So that will be the reason I stop whining about Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart as I plug it back in. No, it's a good point. We'd spoke, spoken about Bret Hart and the way he was booked. We spoke about Diesel at WrestleMania 11, the way he was booked. And I still believe that he was booked really poorly as well. It's certainly in that first few months. Shawn doesn't get that treatment. But maybe, again, maybe that's just Vince learning a lesson from the previous two years. He's, he's you know, yeah. I, I made a mistake. Now I'm going to properly get behind Shawn. Maybe he made the mistake in terms of who he chose to get properly behind. But hell, you know, he's, he made the choice to go with Sean and he's now trying to really get behind him. So I don't necessarily blame him for that. But no, you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, you're right. But you're it's right. Like the chances. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's just he, if he had done that with Brett, he might have seen different results. If he had done it with Diesel, you never know. He may have seen different results, but ultimately it didn't happen that way. So before we move on from this match, sorry, video hype. So go back to that video hype. There's only one other thing I wanted to mention. I hadn't realized that Michael Cole was in the company in 1996, but he's the voiceover man for this and for a previous match. Didn't know that. Didn't notice. Yeah, he sounded it. Sounded it. I remember the first time I ever was introduced to Michael Cole was through WWF magazine. Vince Russo did his because he was Vic Venom as well as Vince Russo in WWF magazine and did a column where he basically was talking about the Raw announced team and it was Jim Ross, Kevin Kelly and Michael Cole at one point. And the only thing that he could pick out about Michael Cole was that Michael Cole wanted everyone to be absolutely clear that he was not Todd Pettengill because they looked quite similar. <laughs> that was it. So th- we've got a little bit of time left in this first half of the show. So let's go right the way back to the start of the show and start from there, shall we? Because we really only had one talking point for this one. So there's no point going around the houses. We start with hype video for the Iron Man match, which I thought was, whilst not great, the video package itself was a significant step up on WrestleMania 11, which only concentrated on the celebrities. Here, by contrast, not a celebrity in sight, WrestleMania 12. And I think this, I think it's poorer for it. I do. I think it's poorer for it. This Because what it meant, Matt, is we didn't get America the Beautiful. We should have got Pamela shame. Anderson. I know how much it means to you. Yeah. Pamela Anderson and Jenny McCarthy duetting on America the Beautiful at WrestleMania 12 would have been delightful. Anything. You know what? Yeah. They didn't have to have a celebrity doing it. They could have got Earl Hebner out there to sing the blood bloody <laughs> thing and I'd still be happy. Yeah, hype video for Iron Man match. Commentators Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler. Any other thoughts about that and them as a commentary team you want to talk about? I don't like Vince on commentary. <laughs> it's a commonly held opinion, so I have no problem with that, Matt. I, I like it, but it's a nostalgia thing for me. I, and I think there's time I think at this point he is annoying. I think he has got to the point for me where he's annoying. I can see it at this point. I don't mind him so much in 94, but here I'm like, yeah. He's just, just so loud. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't. I think if if he wasn't, if he wasn't, you know, I've made my feelings clear on Vince a few weeks back, but I just don't <laughs> want to hear him. I don't want to see him. It's, it's, I think there's a song like that. I don't want to hear your, uh, that's a Manic Street Preacher song, isn't it? <laughs> what, what from what, one of the, don't want to hear your face, don't want to hear your, what is it? Ben, you jump don't in. Don't want to hear your voice, don't want to see your face why don't you just and then there's a guitar lick which doesn't yeah. instead of saying fuck off so yeah um, th- there's a story behind that by the way which is that um effectively they went into their apparently they went into their record company and they were talking about their first single and they and the record company said to them as long as it doesn't contain the words fuck off or something in the middle then we're fine <laughs> and it actually did so they had to replace it with the guitar lick amazing amazing yeah, fair enough i mean look uh, also Stephen, how much is that colored colored by who vince is now and what you know about him now yeah it is it's probably 20 percent that and 80% his performance I think yeah so 
Okay, so the first match of the night is Vader, David Boy Smith, and Owen Hart versus Ahmed Johnson, Jake Roberts, and Yokozuna. Six-man tag match, with the stipulation being that if Yokozuna's team wins, Yokozuna gets five minutes in the ring alone with Jim Cornette. The match goes for 13 minutes, and it ends when Vader hits the Vader bomb on Jake Roberts and gets the victory. Steven? My first note is babyface Yoko crumbs. I don't know why I was thinking that. Crumbs. 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 It was quite stark and sad to see how much his body had changed since WrestleMania 9 because he was, he, you know, he'd, uh, he packed it on in that time. Ahmed Johnson hit a planter over the top rope, which nearly made me spit my wild bean cappuccino out. A little plug for wild bean who are sponsoring my appearance on this uh, on this podcast this week. <laughs> now, onto Yoko's outfit. Because of our taping schedule this time, I've heard most of your WrestleMania 11 review and Tom talked about Yoko's balls, didn't he? Um, and actually, Tom, while we're on the subject of Tom, I was so jealous hearing that you went to Magaluf, uh, which is one of the Holy Trinity of Lad's Holidays. Magaluf, Iron Apple, and Ibiza, if you want to know what the Holy Trinity is. And I've only done two out of those, and the only one missing is Magaluf. So when we get to speak to each other, I want to hear more about that trip. Were you on that trip, Ben? Even I have been to Magaluf. Oh, so that, that so tells you jealous. everything. I I'm mean, so jealous. To be honest, only once, and I did it when I was, what, 35 or something, and it was for one of our friends' stag dues. Tom has been there like four or five times, or a hundred oh. times or something. He used to love it when he was 20. That wasn't for me then. It wasn't for me when I was 35, but it was someone's stag do, so I went along with it. So I've been to Magaluf. Even I have been there. I'm so jealous. The, yeah, the, the, the final frontier I never quite managed to get to. <laughs> There's Just, still time. There's still time. There's still time. Only 41, maybe. Maybe, maybe this time. I was going to go to talk about Yoko's outfit. Now, I had to make the very sad decision after the lockdown that slim fit suit trousers were no longer appropriate for me. And I went to regular fit. And now even the regular fit after Christmas crushed my very average special boys place. So how much Yoko's balls are felt in this sumo thong? I mean, this can't have been comfortable. Like it, re- it really can't have been. We had the WrestleMania logo on the mat for the first time. Vince allegedly always liked a clean mat. And it's a shame the said the same can't be said for his life choices jake's shirt jake's cover-up shirt i mean come on i mean it just didn't do it. It, it it was you could see his his belly in it so what's the point of it and i just kind of thought if you're going to wear a shirt actually cover yourself cover yourself up or maybe do a little bit less crack and go to the gym and do some cardio this had its moments it was fine no better no worse than that. He spent he spent a good five minutes talking about people's outfits and goodness <laughs> else. Just a single sentence on the match itself. <laughs> and that's fine. That's how we like it on the random wrestling review of that. Well, I, I tell you what, I'll, I'll follow on a little bit with, with the outfits because I, I tend to agree, particularly with Jake Roberts. I mean, God bless him, but he, he could have been, you know, he could have been more obvious that he's trying to cover himself up. He may as well have just come out with a sign above his head with a big arrow going down, just going, yes, I am fat. It was like, what the fuck was that? It was awful. Very poor choice. But the the one thing um, that really stuck out to me as the match was starting, when they announced Vader, originally I didn't hear the announcer say that they were announcing everybody's combined weight. I thought they would just announce, as as they normally do, I thought they were announcing just the single weights. And when they said Vader was about 1,030 pounds, I said, what the hell? And it did take me a couple of minutes until they did the next set of announcements for the next team. I was like, ah, okay, that's everybody. I was like, let's face it, we, we all know that they tend to exaggerate, you know, the weights. But I was like, fuck off, is he a thousand and thirty-eight pounds? <laughs> Are you kidding? But th- that did tickle me a little bit. But the match itself, well, it wasn't too bad, you know. For for, for the opener, it was um, it was pretty decent. I mean, it, it was pretty much um, it was all about Vader versus Yokozuna. That's and that, that's one thing that sort of got the crowd going really. And whenever those two guys sort of did get 
together. Um, the, the crowd were into it, so it was cool to see the big guys go at it. Yeah, like I said, there wasn't much for Jake, although he did manage to get the crowd, you know, definitely behind the DDT. I mean, a, a lot has been said about him, you know, setting up that move and getting the DDT, and people are so behind it, which was really cool. I did enjoy, I think this was a Vince McMahon line, I'd have to double check, but there was a commentary line where they did refer to Owen Hart as that pesky individual, which again is, is, another, is another line that did crack me up. So for the entire of this match, I kept, whenever I was in, I was like, ah, that pesky individual. So I did enjoy that. But yeah, the, the match itself, like I said, again, it, it wasn't too bad. The the finish was cool as well. I, I quite like Vader. So Vader getting the splash was good. Y- Yoko couldn't move as much because he was rather humongous. Uh, but yeah, not, not too bad. Decent all start to the show. I quite like this. Yeah, I thought it was decent. I don't really dislike anyone in this match, but Ahmed Johnson's the only one that I would pick out for particular criticism. And actually, at the beginning of his WWF run, he was pretty exciting. I thought he was a pretty dynamic performer he got injured i think middle of the year and then just was never the same after that point it just never never worked and he got i think he got a bit of an attitude about him as well and it all kind of started to fall down but the beginning he was just he was yeah really excited and they were really behind him you know they really kind of entered him in right near the top of the card first pay-per-view was at survivor series 95 and he was in the the wild card match which was a a match where heels and baby faces were drawn into two survivor series teams and they were all the biggest stars other than the brett and diesel who were in the main event of the show and uh, yeah, they, they really did get behind him. And I, I thought this was a, a decent match. I feel disappointed that we didn't get more of Yoko as a babyface. I feel like, as I said, said on the WrestleMania 9 episode, like I feel like they had an intention to establish him as the Andre the Giant of the time. And they'd kind of done it as a heel. Now they were turning him babyface to have the probably the next four or five years and just make the occasional appearance as a mm. kind of a really loved big, big guy. And it just didn't work because he couldn't stop putting on the pounds. In fairness, he was pressured to put on more weight in the first place by the WWF as a, as a company to get up to make him look more impressive but then he just carried on and well I mean you can't blame him how can you can't exactly stop that once you once you put that into motion it's very very difficult to stop yeah it was all a bit sad in the end for old Joko this was obviously also them introducing Vader and I don't think they did a great job of it in this match like he still had to I just think that WWF weren't very good at bringing in a heel and making them just unstoppable during yeah. this period they just couldn't bring them themselves that have you know other than Yoko actually up until one point when he won the title everybody you know everybody else is kind of there's a, there's almost like a an apology so obviously first of all here he actually has to sell for one or two of the opponents which I don't think he needs to do in this match I think he should just be dominant whenever he gets in the ring but also they show the clip of him getting suspended on Raw after the Royal Rumble because he attacked Gorilla Monsoon but during that he has to back down from Gorilla Monsoon during that angle and you're like this is the first time most people will have seen him because he debuted at the Royal Rumble itself, the pay-per-view. And already you're like, oh, Gorilla Monsoon can deal with him. You know, this this guy who's re- retired years and years ago, better known as a commentator now to most of these fans. And he's kind of, Vader's backing down from him. I just, it didn't really do him a great service in this these initial months. So I think that's a good time for us to break, take a little, uh, take a little rest, have a little wee, I'd imagine most of us need. After that, we'll come back and we'll cover the middle four matches of this WrestleMania 12. We may also briefly touch upon the two pre-show matches that took place even though we we didn't watch them as part of the show. Two athletes, two men, one hour. For Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, this is what it all comes down to. Throughout their World Wrestling Federation careers, both superstars have traveled down similar roads. Through heart, determination, and pure blood, sweat, and tears, both men have made it a point to simply be the best they can be. But now the question is, 
who is the best? Shawn Michaels, the 12-year-old boy from San Antonio, Texas, who had a dream of one day becoming the World Wrestling Federation champion, trained by the legendary Jose Lotharia. The flamboyant and charismatic Shawn Michaels never stopped working to achieve his goal. Sweating his way through the ranks for over seven years, through the good and the bad, Shawn Michaels continued to follow that dream. The dream that would eventually lead him to Anaheim, California and WrestleMania 12. Bret Hart, the rugged technician, whose formal training came in a dungeon in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Under the guidance of his father, Stu, Brett learned how to methodically and technically wear an opponent down to the breaking point. For 11 years, Bret Hart has thrilled Federation fans, giving his all en route to becoming a three-time World Wrestling Federation champion. The excellence of execution, and most importantly, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. The best, the Iron Man, the champion. First time ever, I can't really think of a whole lot left to say. Everybody knows the story. Now it's just time for the final chapter. Well, you know, for me, it's just the whole thing's finally coming to a head, you know. It's do or die, and, uh, you know, 60-minute Iron Man match, we're going to find out just how good Shawn Michaels is. I think everyone's going to see just how good I am. And I think uh, the way I look at it is uh, one man's sunset is another man's dawn, and tomorrow morning... I just want to wake up tomorrow morning with this. So welcome back. Now we are on to the first of Michael Cole's uh, voiceover duties next because he does the voiceover for the Roddy Piper Gold Dust feud video. Um, now this was originally going to be Razor and Gold Dust, um, not Piper and Gold Dust, but Razor Ramon had been suspended prior to the show. I think probably for substance abuse or alcoholism or or something, and so Piper had sort of stepped in at late notice. Originally, also it was going to be a Miami street fight between Razor and Gold Dust, so it wasn't going to take part anywhere near California. It was going to be all the way in florida the other side of the country so that changed the sort of dynamic of this a little bit it was mainly centered around i guess homophobia if if we're going to be honest about it gold dust's original persona which was far more risque let's say than it would eventually become legitimately though i think the introduction of the gold dust character is effectively the beginning of the road to, to the attitude era especially if you he came in October of 95 was his first match, I believe, in WWF on In Your House 4, I think. The following month, Brett goes for a table in a match with Diesel. The following month, Brett and Bulldog have a bloodbath in their In Your House main event, In Your House 5. And then at Royal Rumble 96, Diesel sticks the finger up at The Undertaker. And there's a gradual hardening of the product. It doesn't kick into full force until the end of 97 but it's it's already starting to go on there and this was the start but let's talk about gold dust as a character at this big early stage matt have you seen much of this <laughs> i haven't seen that much of uh like sort of gold early stuff no so uh so a lot of this w- w- was new to me and let's just say not enjoyable <laughs> steven any thoughts i just think that there's quite a lot of horrible undertones and 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 if the opposite of undertones is overtones so like overtly outwardly horrible in that your wwf is really a kid's product i know raw was on at what nine o'clock or whatever but this is we're still in the syndication era where lots of stuff happened on superstars and you know pushing the weekend shows and all that stuff and you were openly pushing a character as a heel because of their perceived femininity or whatever it was in the in, you know i'm probably not educated enough to, to, to put that 
that in the in the right words. But that that's what it was. It was a homophobic angle, and and they were encouraging kids to boo this character because of this character's lifestyle choice and what they wore and all that sort of stuff. And this this was this was oh, really, this was my talking point actually in terms of you know uh, like for the show the two things around you've got an ongoing storyline in the show for the kind of first time that that was kind of a match in it and and segments. But also this 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 horrible, horrible thing that was going on here. And, you know, I think the world has moved on. This is 1996 and we're now in 2023. You know, if you look back at an episode of In Between Us from 2008, there's lots of bad stuff in that. So we've moved on in 15 years. But crikey, in the, in this, what, 27 years, this 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 shouldn't have been a thing in 1996. It just shouldn't have been. Yeah. And, and I think that they're in just a, I don't know why I felt like I needed to kind of comment on this, but the, in the In Between Us, I've feel like it's more of a a reality of being in your teens mid-teens i suppose and you know not really knowing how you respond to that kind of thing and you know there's a reality in their behavior towards one another about how you know they perceive each other as being gay if you like yeah that though troubling is still reality in some ways whereas this is a grown man and a corporate company portraying this character and choosing to portray this character in the way they they, they portray him and, and not even necessarily something that the other characters are embarrassed by even though they probably shouldn't be Every, it's overtly saying everyone should be embarrassed by him and everyone should fear him because he's gay yes that's exact fear is exactly the word i was just thinking this is this is strange this is wrong fear this person boo this person and that and that is exactly what it was yeah and i don't know because Razor Ramon famously didn't like this at all, didn't like mm, that he was in a no. feud with Goldust. I don't think it was because, though, he objected to the homophobia. I think it was probably because he, and I don't mean to speak, I don't know, because I'm, I'm just speculating. I don't think that was his problem, shall we put it that way? Mm, yeah. I don't think his problem was, oh, this, this is homophobic, we shouldn't do it. I think his problem was more in tune with ultimately why the character was supposed to be feared, which is just disappointing, I suppose. But I, I am, don't want to do a kissing spot and that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm guessing, and I don't, you know, it's not yeah. maybe not fair, but so yeah, it's a Hollywood backlot brawl between the two. We before the match, we see Mar- Marlena backstage watching the broadcast, whilst the video camera is showing her, so she's effectively watching herself, which is kind of strange. Then we get the the location of the Hollywood backlot brawl. Piper is waiting for Goldust to turn up. He does turn up in a gold car. They have a little bit of a brawl. Goldust then gets back in the car, hits Piper with it and drives off. And Piper runs and runs to his car and drives after him. Let's take on this bit of the match in isolation to start with. I call, I say match. I probably should put that in inverted commas. It's just a fight. What do we make of this bit of it? Stephen, let's start with you. Why does did Roddy make the floor wet? Because if you make the floor wet in a fight, it may make your opponent slip, but you could also slip. <laughs> and you could fall over and then it could be all over. So I didn't really understand that. Um, I guess in 1996, some of this outside of the arena brawling was probably quite new to some people. It was This was prior to NWO at Universal Studios and 2000 other variations of this on wrestling shows over the last 25 plus years. But I just found this dull and long and it was only just about four minutes, but it was it was um, it, I found it really, really boring. In fact, what I, f- I focused for about 30 seconds of this on what a horrible day it seemed to be in Anaheim and how I felt sorry for anyone that had traveled to this 
supposedly warm climate plays for WrestleMania and had a shit weekend of weather. So, yeah, I seem to be obsessed with weather on this show for some reason, but um, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, I, do you know what? Every day in my life, I walk past, there's two receptionists in the office I work in, one that works Mondays and Fridays and one that's Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. And I dread this every day because the toilet, I have to walk past the desk to get to the toilet and I've got nothing in my locker to speak to these two ladies. And all I ever say, oh, it's a bit cold out there today, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's nice, the sun's shining. And like, a little bit of me dies inside every single day. Uh, so that's appear, appear to be doing that on the show as well. Somehow, when this segment ended, we got it got a, a big reaction from the crowd, and they cut back to Vince and Lawler. But God knows why, didn't get it. <laughs> I was a bit bit disappointed we didn't get the uh, weather report from the day, quite frankly. <laughs> so, Matt, what did you think? <sighs> Great. <laughs> I was thinking about you, Matt, when I was watching this, thinking, what is he? What's he going to think of this nonsense? And again, it's because it's kind of out of the kind of out of the nice straight line in the middle, isn't it? That's the problem. It's not conforming with your very focused view of what should be in a wrestling show. Do you know what? There's nothing wrong with being different, but when different, <laughs> when different is good. This didn't hit that. Now I'm I'm gonna save, seeing as we're sort of breaking it down a little bit just in this segment first. I'm gonna save my opinion for Roddy Piper later on because I've got certainly some stuff to say about his track record at WrestleMania. But this part was bloody awful. <laughs> um, like the, the one thing that makes me laugh, like I, I don't know if they felt that way at the time, but you know, you, you know, you certainly hear it all the time. And, and over the last few years, you know, WWE wishes they were nominated for for Emmys and and awards in television and, and things like this. And I think, you know. And then you hear that and then you see this, you know, again, not saying that, you know, at the time, maybe they thought that, but that certainly resonated with me thinking, God, this is the company that wishes they were nominated for television awards. Well, they should have shit in getting one for this. The only sort of two things that really sprung to mind was one, Piper nearly battered the shit out of Goldust with the, the bat. Like he nearly hit him in the head and the way he swung it, very nearly caved his skull in. So I was thinking, you fucking idiot for that. Um, so that sort of pissed me off and put me in a bad mood. Um, but then what did manage to make me laugh was the unbelievably pathetic attempt uh, Piper tried to give Goldust some form of power slam onto the car, which, my God, he, he gently placed him on there. Let, let, let's, you know, let's be serious. He, he just went, there you go, have a seat on the car. And then tried to get on the car himself. But of course, because the dumbass had sprayed him with water with the pipe, he couldn't climb onto the car and was slipping and falling all over the place. So it, it just turned into a cartoon joke. It was absolutely shit and then of course they you know they get away in the car um, and and do the car chase you know they, they could have put the Benny Hill music on and I would have taken it more serious just not good yeah, it was rubbish, wasn't it? It was rubbish. It was, it was just, it was rubbish. This, this bit was just really, really rubbish. I didn't understand why there was a crowd there, to be honest. Like, this is a backlot brawl. Is it, has people been selling tickets to this thing? You know, have we, have we announced where this is going to be? Like, what? Why is there a crowd? I don't, I don't get why there are people there. I like the, the idea. I like them trying something different. And this was very different for, for WWE, very different for WrestleMania at this point. But yeah, it was a miss for them, unfortunately, not a hit. Although uh, in the 35 years of WrestleMania coffee table book, <laughs> Goldust said it was amazing. Dustin yeah. Rose says it was amazing. He also says it was a great honor working with a legend like Roddy Piper. So oh, Matt will have some things to say about that later on. Says it all about Goldust, doesn't he, that he thought that that was amazing. Whose so, nose are bigger after those quotes that book Bret Hart or Goldust? Because they <laughs> both were not telling the truth. No, I think I think Bret believed it, though. So I don't think that's yeah, a lie. Yeah, fair, fair dues there, yeah. Now, I did say we would talk about the matches before the show. There were two pre-show matches. Both... 
I think relatively relatively interesting. So the first one was the t- tournament final for the vacant WWF Tag Team Championship. So this shows how important the Tag Team Championships were at this time. Is on the pre-show of a six a match a show, a show which only got six matches on it, and the pre-show contained the Body Donners defeating the Godwins to win those tag team titles. Two of the least impressive tag teams of all time, I would suggest. Chris Candido is in amongst them, obviously, but ultimately not the most exciting thing. This is famously the year where basically the tag team division was a vehicle for promoting Sonny. That was really what it was for. It wasn't for anybody else. The tournament itself that had led to this had only four regular tag teams in it. The Body Donners, the Bushwhackers, the Godwins and the New Rockers. So that is Marco <laughs> Giannetti and Leaf Cassidy, who would be Al Snow, of course, in the future. It also then included Razor Ramon and Savio Vega defeating the One Two Three Kid and Tatanka, and Owen Hart and the British Bulldog beating Barry Horowitz and Hakushi. So the tag teams were pretty rough. And then, having beaten uh, One Two Three Kid and Tatanka, Razor Ramon and Savio Vega could not compete in their semi-final because Razor Ramon had been suspended, and that's why Steve Austin replaced Razor Ramon in that match, even though Austin was a heel and Savio Vega was a babyface. Um, and leads to our next match. Look at that. Look at how you do that. Seamless. How do you... So, yeah, backstage, Doc Hendricks is with Savio Vega. They show footage from Superstars when he and Austin tagged up to face the Body Donners, but Austin refused to tag in, and Vega ended up hitting Austin. Austin then retaliates and costs them the match. Vega says it is his dream come true to fight a WrestleMania and is ready for anything. It is ahead of the Steve Austin-Savio Vega match. Austin wins by technical knockout, having put Savio Vega to sleep with the Million Dollar Dream. So, yeah, Steve Austin's first WrestleMania appearance. Uh, Matt, what do you think? This was certainly something to see, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, in the sense of, like, I was very surprised. I, I didn't know that Austin was on this show. And, I mean, I definitely knew about his uh, association with Ted DiBiase as, you know, the ringmaster and all that. But this is the first time that, that we've seen him. Um, So, yeah, it, it was interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean, the, the match itself was, it, it wasn't bad. In, in fact, you know, it was actually a good little match, I, I would say. There was a couple of things in there that, that worked out. I mean, the one thing that did make me laugh and, and really made me think, actually, uh, Steve Austin has always been relatively uh, sort of known for doing the the Luthes press, but I've never actually seen a ref make a cover for it, or you know make a th- you know try to make the, the the three you know make the three count at the same time that he does it. And they did that this match. I was like, oh okay, maybe it was one of the first times that that they'd done that. But I just thought oh, I was like, okay, that's interesting. I haven't seen that much of Savio Vega as well, so this was um. This was a new one for me. But yeah, it was it was quite good. Like I said, I didn't mind it. I've probably never seen Steve Austin go more to the top rope than, than he has done in any match. I mean, my God, during his entire peak run, I don't think he probably ever went to the top rope. Yeah, he did at least two or three times in this. And yeah, the the, the finish was all right. Like I said, as, as a match, it wasn't too bad, to be fair. I didn't mind this one. What did you think, Stephen? Savio said pre-match it was his dream come true to be at WrestleMania with a guy he wants to fight rather than a guy he didn't want to fight, presumably. Um, <laughs> Roddy Piper phoned in to Vince on the commentary desk during this match and they aired some footage of him chasing Goldust, but it wasn't the footage. It wasn't real footage. It was the savoury, not unsavoury, footage of OJ Simpson uh, basically driving away from the police having hacked two people to death. Am I allowed to say that? Is that do I have to say allegedly, or do I? Can I say he got he got put in a civil suit, didn't he? Yeah, I, I think you're fine. Yeah, to say there, that. there you go. Hang on, hang on, no. Are you fucking kidding me? That's what that footage was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. What the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, 
don't get me wrong. I knew he wasn't really paper chasing him in the car, but bloody hell, come on. I yeah. feel like we've just told you that like it's Father Christmas or the Tooth Fairy aren't real. It was an amazing, <laughs> it was an amazing moment to see oh. that live on air. So yeah. What a load of shit. Vince says during one of these stints, oh, this footage seems familiar. Yeah. So he's, he's trying to make a joke of it. So it's very much seen as a sort of inside, not an inside joke, but a joke of some kind. It's it's not a joke, is it? This is quite a serious thing that happened, yeah. regardless of whether you believe OJ Simpson did it or not, which I think is now probably, as I said, probably you cannot you know, say allegedly because it was found guilty in a civil suit. So deserve an Emmy, people. Emmy nominated company someday, yeah. hopefully. Just, just such bad taste. The only other couple of couple of things I had, I, I don't think I would have bet in March '96 that Steve Austin would be the hottest act in the company. You know, 12 months later, I thought this was okay work-wise, but crowd went into it. And I'd, I've written, though I have no memory of this, I very much enjoyed Tim White's face being doused in coke. What was that? The ref- I don't remember no that at all. No idea yeah, what you're talking about. Crikey, yeah, no idea. The referee, someone threw a coke in his face? Don't know. Oh, um, oh yes, memories, memories coming back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just so we, memories. We had, um, we had Whitney Houston earlier on. Now we've got something from some from Caps or something, wherever that's from. That was, bear with me, if I remember. You're trying to remember the name of the musical now, yeah? No, I don't think that was this match. Uh, Have you seen Cats? Uh, ben or no, no, it was a complete. I went to, it was the opener because it was Jim Cornette throwing ice on the referee to try and revive them. Ah, okay. So I, I don't know what that, why that note's there. You, That's yeah, no, no uh, idea. Yeah. Don't, I'm just, whatever you do, I, don't, don't. Sorry, go, go, sorry, go on, Ben. I was just gonna say, I'm just <laughs> delighted that I was right. Memories is from Cats, and I, I have no idea where I pulled that from because I didn't know that. Great knowledge. A tip for you both and all the listeners out there: don't go and see Cats. I went to see it with my in-laws at some point and I didn't realise for about 45 minutes there isn't a story in Cats. So I'm really trying to pay attention to all the songs, but they're not connected with each other. It's just bollocks after bollocks after bollocks of cats, not actual cats singing. So whatever you do, do not go and see Cats. I'd highly recommend The Book of Mormon instead. Yeah, Book of Mormon's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was all right. Culture on the show there. Culture. (laughs) culture we're the ones who deserve an emmy even though we're not yeah. Visual. <laughs> yeah this was all right i wasn't much i didn't think there was much to write home about it was a bit disjointed it was okay as you say Stephen. nothing to suggest that steve austin's going to be a, the big star 12 months and 18 months and then two years on from this nothing at all not much not much to talk about really one thing that did actually look i, I thought quite brutal and did kind of tie in with the being stone cold character um, it is when he hit Vega with the the million dollar title on the on the back of the head over the apron. I thought that was quite brutal. And I was thinking, oh shit. I mean, I, I have a funny feeling that he specifically was thinking that would be kind of because that was quite brutal. You think of it as a cold thing to do. So I thought that was interesting. Well, it's it's it is important to say that his initial initial concept for Stone Cold is extremely different from what it would what would make him the biggest star in the in the in the in the world. And and certainly when he became the biggest star in the world, that was not the same character at all that he was portraying the original concept was absolutely like you'd have no feelings at all he'd just be psychopathic effectively you would just have no remorse for anything he did so yeah that fits well and he obviously had a vision for what it was and ultimately as even the 35 years of wrestlemania book suggests he wasn't really able to start running with his own ability until he was shed of the million dollar man ted dibiase which required him to lose the savio vega to get rid of dibiase so this feud in the end did what did prove pivotal in austin's career but not the reasons maybe this match suggests we then see some more footage of the car chase 
this is where McMahon says the pictures look very familiar. Yada, yada, yada. Matt's still shaking his head with disgust. Then we get Mr. Perfect, a backstage interviewer. That's the, the role he's been consigned to for this one with Diesel. Uh, we see footage of The Undertaker pulling Diesel from under the ring at In Your House 6, I think it would have been, um, when he's facing Bret Hart in the title match at that uh, particular pay-per-view. Then footage of Raw where Diesel is confronted by himself in a casket. And then Diesel says he doesn't sweat the small stuff says he'll beat taker then defeat michaels too which suggests that he already thinks that michaels is going to be the world champion at the end of the night then we get triple h walking to the ring with sable on his arm and it's time for the triple h's match against the ultimate warrior a minute and a half squash which basically sees triple h do the the pedigree and then warrior no sell it and then beat him up and pin him steven this is weird because for me this kind of fills me with joy this match i can't explain why (laughs) well this is my match of the night um so i mean and and it is because it's short i didn't have to sit through 60 minutes it was just one minute and 38 seconds there's a weird i don't know whether ben you i'm sure you have and matt i don't know if you picked up on this but one of vincent man's favorite things in the 80s was to get the heel commentator to say that he had a wig and he didn't have his own hair and that this came up during this so that that jesse would constantly go on about this uh, and i think heenan afterwards um i just kind of thought what an odd human to to um to have that um yeah there's a big pop for warrior accompanied by a firework display of his emblem that looked a bit like it had been put together by some work experience kids uh we also had this weird like hanging light thing in the background like what was that like it dropped from the arena roof whatever they paid for that wasn't worth it should have got a refund warrior won and his celebration was cut off gratingly early for a promo with todd pettingill and i thought the only person that had a worse night than brett was hunter and um yeah well, not much else to say about this i and one of my reserve talking point was how was it ever going to work with the ultimate warrior in 96 i touched on this earlier on how, why are you going back there what money's been spent on this guy what value does this bloke have and he was gone by the summer i just i think lost his lost his mind around this time i just don't get it don't get it at all told you Stephen. i told you this is fascinating mind of mm. a man during this period is just just weird matt what did you make of this oh triple h guy didn't do too bad for himself afterwards didn't he I heard about this, and and again, this definitely was the first time that I've seen it. Trying to take the It's Triple H bit out of it and think of it as Hunter Helmsley as that character at the time. Like I said earlier, this show overall definitely felt like a bit of a turning point for me. You know, you had, you know, new guys, Steve Austin, you know, Triple H. Might have been been the first time we've seen Ahmed Johnson, I believe. So there were a few, you know, Vader. There was a fair few sort of new faces coming into this. And and it felt like, you know, like a bit of a change. And Warrior felt a bit more like that old guard that probably should have been putting the guys over. So when he beat him that quickly, I was thinking... Eh, I'm not really sure that's you know, that's what you want to be doing here. Okay, I get that, you know, you, you, you still may have been a big star um, and they wanted to kind of keep that going. But yeah, I, I didn't really think that was the right thing to do. So yeah, th- this did seem like an absolutely epic waste, but they did it and they did it. What, what can you say about it? It wasn't any good. I, I kind of joked that I found quite a lot of joy in this. And I think mainly because of the way Triple H would later bury so many people in his career that, you know, he kind of deserved it preemptively, I suppose. But actually saying that, I think this is probably this probably has informed some to some degree wwe's booking 
not necessarily Triple H's, but WWE's booking for a number of years. You've seen it, I think, a number of times over the past, certainly from about 2003 onwards, where a young guy will be coming up, doing pretty well, looking pretty good, looking you know, like they're going to be a valuable commodity to the company in the future. And then they'll bury them out of nowhere for some reason. They'll do something that makes them look like a chump or they'll just have them lose very quickly. And then almost as if to test them, almost almost like this is the Triple H test now. Let's see if you can you can take this, keep your professionalism, stay motivated and try and build yourself back up again. And I feel like this is where it's come from, is this moment where <clears throat> effectively Triple H was, or Hunter S. Townsley as he was at the time, not Triple H by this point, was jobbed to the Warrior, having his finish completely destroyed by the Warrior as well in the first few minutes of the match, and yet still managed to become a star. And I know there's other stuff that went on after this, and we may talk about that in a second, but it, that's what it feels like. And I, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm giving it too much credit. Maybe this is always Vince's way, but certainly early doors, Hunter Helms had come in. He'd been a relatively serious act. Well, I mean, it's a serious act. He had a blue blood, blue blood gimmick. So it was a little bit old hat and a bit cheesy or whatever. But it was they seemed to be investing a lot in him is what I'm trying to say. And uh, and you know, they, did, they did this to him. And I think I don't know. I think this had an impact going forward for a long time on booking in general in WWE. I Saying that, I don't think Triple H seems to have the same he seems to want people to avoid this under his own booking but WWE as a whole seemed to want to do this a lot after this point you're right about Ultimate Warrior what does he bring I guess this was a reflection of Vince's concern about Nitro and WCW and the fact they had Hogan they had Savage and that Diesel had handed in his notice by this point as well Kevin Nash had handed in his notice Scott Hall was also leaving to go to WCW I think that what this is is a reaction to that we must get in a big star because I need ratings on raw because when i'm putting my main event event out on raw and it's i don't know steve austin versus savio vega another match in their feud it doesn't compare to hulk hogan versus lex luger even if it's the 13th time that hulk hogan and lex luger have faced each other in the last year so i think that's what this was about and it didn't work he wasn't he was only there for three four months and he was gone by july i think and it was a it was a waste of time and he didn't even really do anything with him in that period in fact they were just ramping up to do something with him at the point of july and when he when he finally disappeared maybe he didn't like what they had in mind for him and that worry about wcw was very much reflected in the other of the pre-show segments because the the huckster faced the nacho man in uh, the second dark match singles match with billionaire ted as the special referee this was the culmination of the billion te- billionaire ted skits that have been running in wwf early 1996 the first real response i guess from the wwf to wcw monday nitro being put on air the reason it was such a big deal i think and it was so notable was that prior to this point wwf didn't even acknowledge that was wrestling outside of wwf it just didn't exist to the point where when i was at the at that age when we talked about wrestling or when we talked about wwf it was always oh, hulk hogan still in it is Randy Savage still in it? And it was in it meant WWF. It didn't mean anything else because we didn't know about anything else ultimately because our view was very much through WWF's lens and they did not acknowledge that anything else existed. So by doing this, it was the they, they were breaking a cardinal rule that they'd had for many, many years, which was we just don't acknowledge it and therefore it doesn't, doesn't impact us. So yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting bit here and obviously kind of Vince perhaps showing his real concern now that WCW are coming at him with some real money and actual competition for the first time. 
Yeah. And WCW was, I've gone back and watched the Nitros at this time. This is before NWO, a few months before that. WCW was solid. Nitro, the, the first, however many Nitros there are, while well, they're an hour, are really good. It's really good TV. You know, not all of it's perfect, but it's, mm. it's episodic and it leaves you wanting more. And I've sat through some of the pay-per-views of late 95 and think some of this is terrible, but I'm kind of into what happens with, you know, the Hogan moustache being shaved off and all that sort of nonsense because the nitros are so good like so far away and i can understand why vince was pressing the panic button and it would only get worse in terms of how far when when they turned at bash of the beach um that was that was a really big thing and when scott hall first turned up and like and hulk hogan turned this was like major major stuff i remember reading about that on teletext to, to hear about it because we couldn't get access to wcw papers unless you had sky and dsf but that this was just before that so they were it was it was vince pressing the panic button rewarding it wasn't it really keep them out of there keep them keep them with us did you matt you don't suppose you've seen any of this stuff between the natural man billionaire ted the huckster very very small um like clips i've seen just just the 102 and in fact it might have been the rise and fall of uh w7 documentary where they might have mentioned it so yeah i've seen little bits of it and i of course forgot to mention scheme gene which is the uh, <laughs> the other one that he uh, <clears throat> involved in all this yeah it was it was interesting and um I said never really been done before. The other thing is that the WF was wi- wi- widely, oh my God, WF are in trouble if this is what they're going to do to try yeah. and counter it. The other weird thing about the Warrior, so I feel like I should save this for an episode that we may never do, so I may, that's why I'm not going to save it, is I saw something on Twitter recently that I'd seen before, and I but only briefly seen it. It's a contract offering the Ultimate Warrior some hideous amount of money in December 97 to return to WWF. Mm. Now, I want to go massively into Montreal because talking about it requires to talk about Montreal as well, I think. But it, rather than go deep, deep into uh, Montreal or anything to do with Montreal, really, it's incredible that Vince thought, I can't afford Brett, but I can afford to bring back the Ultimate Warrior on loads and loads of money. That's madness to me. Well, I, I don't think, I think he could afford Brett. And I think it was a it was a creative driven decision. And that was an excuse because he hitched his wagon to Shawn Michaels. And he was he'd had enough of the, the infighting in the company between the two. He turned Brett heel. Brett was, if you, if you look back at October, November, roars from 97 the crowd wants to cheer Bret Hart there was a reaction in Madison Square Garden when he said I'm the best there ever the best there was best blah 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 New York City you know it and the crowd gives him a baby face reaction or a a large proportion but Bret was a bit of a busted flus as a bit <laughs> easy for me to say irony <laughs> it was a bit of a, a bit of a busted flush there you go second time around as a baby face because he'd said you're going to go to a lot of towns where people will, will remember and they just won't get behind it because of the sort of heel work that he was he'd done yeah so i think a lot of it was you know what i think once the once the pay-per-view stuff came in for the first three hour in your house where they upped the price which was still within the brett you know the kind of brett vince negotiating period around october 97 they were fine again because they had about the same number of buys, but more money. So they were fine financially at that point. So I think it was a creative decision. But this nuts, isn't it? Warrior, but then you haven't got the problems with Warrior and your top guy in Michaels, I suppose, the thing. And he had Austin as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy that you would even think that would be a good yeah. idea. We'll bring in the Ultimate Warrior. And it was crazy here, crazy then, and crazy that in 1998, WWE decided to bring him in to their yeah. company. Just for Hogan to pin him. Well, yeah, pretty much. So next up, Todd, Todd Pettengill's backstage. And he says at this point, 50 minutes into the show, by the way, this is only about 50 minutes into the show. And he says, it's been a wild night of surprises as if we're two hours in and loads has happened. Pettengill then introduces wild man Mark Morrow. <laughs> that was great. 
clearly he's, he's not read the memo correctly. Maro. Or, or that was his original name and then they realised how stupid it was. I don't know. Mero says he's very excited to have arrived after five years. Maro, Maro, I'm doing it myself. Mario? Uh, Mero is then interrupted by Triple H who is shouting at Sable and the two then get into a brawl. And obviously this is how they attach Sable to Mark Mero initially. I don't know if anyone wants to comment on any of this. The only thing I've got to add is that Triple H walked into him, but if Mero wasn't there and Triple H was just going about his business, he would have walked straight into a wall. So how are you filming it that way? You've got to film it so he's got to get past Mero to where or Maro to wherever he's going. He would have walked straight into it like a metal fence. Like, what are you doing? Just think about it. So yeah, not 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 the best. Stephen was Stephen was absolutely like gutted then. Just just think about it. <laughs> just think about it. Do better, just do better. Oh, don't know what's coming next. They're not going to do better, are they? Sorry, Ben. Yeah, I'm just going to say that I I didn't know um that that's how they uh, attached Sable to uh, to Mark Mario and <laughs> that's that cool little fact. I was like, oh okay. So then there's some more coverage of the car chase, and apparently the two men are on their way to the Arrowhead Pond, which is then followed by Diesel versus The Undertaker. Stephen is already shaking his head at this one. It's just under 17 minutes in length, and it ends when Taker hits a chokeslam, then a tombstone, and gets the pin. I'm mildly surprised by the amount of negativity Stephen's approaching this with, so let's, uh, let's hear from you. Be still my beating heart. Mid-1990s Undertaker versus Diesel. What... What terrible crimes have I committed in past life to have to watch this again? And I just don't understand what people who cheered for The Undertaker in the mid-1990s saw in him. Not electric promos, dog shit in the ring, just a mysterious bloke that likes wrestling in slow motion and hanging around with dead bodies. That is just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I felt like my soul was being sapped out of my body during this snooze fest. And perhaps that's the idea of Demetrius' character. Crowd lifeless, action ponderous dreadful waste of life and I actually had to get myself a Barocca after this match to try and wake myself up because there was quite a lot left to go and I did watch this all in one sitting terrible terrible match it's it's interesting because for me I was falling asleep during the Vega Austin match and after that I was fine Mm. after that I was fine but then I did that was when I stopped watching and then watched the rest another time so I I think um I don't know maybe I just approached it from the right direction here which was to lop off the first 40 minutes and then <laughs> yes then carry on so i did want to prick you up on taken mm. why people because ch- i think again i think this is maybe an issue with the way we watch wrestling in 2023 is that we do tend to be very conscious of how good someone is in the ring or how good quote unquote their promos are i mean look Regardless of what you think of MJF, people generally broadly accept that the main reason or one of the reasons he's been pushed so hard is because he's apparently a great promo. But for me, we shouldn't be conscious of that. We shouldn't be conscious of how good he is as a promo. And certainly we weren't in 1996. It wasn't really a thing, certainly not by the same percentage of people. Instead, you invested in the character and how that character was presented to you. And The Undertaker's character was presented as being indestructible, different, cool, kind of scary. All those things were why, when I first started watching wrestling in 1904, The Undertaker was my favourite wrestler. I'm sorry, Ben. The <laughs> point is, I okay. wasn't conscious of any of the things you mentioned. I wasn't yeah. conscious of how good a promo he was. And also, the concept of being a good promo in 2023 for me is is nonsense, because it's all about how clever or funny they are. But good promo is about how much you invest in the match and how much you care about the person who wins and loses. And I don't yeah. think enough people see that from the, you know, the way we judge promos in 2023. I think that's absolutely right and I think at the top end that's what promos have got to be about it's about it's got to be about advancing a storyline so you pay 
pay to see that person in a wrestling match. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was never. I preferred Undertaker late career stuff. Uh, obviously, most people do. Yeah, did, exactly. I suppose. But yeah, I don't think. I'm just thinking whether I was thinking about match quality and stuff in '96. I think the first time I saw. Uh, I, I think that back then I could appreciate something that was more exciting than something that wasn't like a Bret Hart one, two, three kid match. But I don't think I was really, really, really conscious of, uh, and obviously stuff like Diesel and Mabel would be boring. And like, I don't want to see this, but I wasn't quite as conscious of it until I started seeing the cruiserweights from WCW. And it was like all this different stuff. And I tell you actually something as well, um, which was earlier than this, they used to show new Japan on Eurosport. And when I saw, I saw Jushin, Live for the first time, probably like 1993, and I was like, "This is much better than the wrestling I have ever watched in terms of what they did." But I wasn't sort of a, I wasn't really a match quality person, I guess, until I guess Attitude Era, really later, yeah. 98, 99, especially when the Radicals came into WWE or WF, and that was, you know, or my, everything was much better at that point. Yeah, and I, and I think also even when I did get invested in that stuff in about the same sort of period, the majority weren't. Mm. The majority were not conscious of that. Now they are, mm. and so there's that thing. But I do think like Bret Hart, for example, is someone who's always considered not a particularly good promo. I think that's nonsense. I think his no, promos are excellent. Yeah, uh, and they always tell a story and they always make you invested in what's happening in the match or about to happen in the match. Yes, he's not the slickest. He doesn't say every word perfectly in order the way it's supposed to be said. It's not funny. It's not. Clear clever but it does sell the emotion of what's to come and that's what it's about it's not about being funny he's a real human being who speaks like yeah he is he is he was he's a real human being who speaks like a real human being i was talking about this on a on a uwf podcast i did yesterday about steve williams there's steve williams no one will say steve williams is a great promo but on this shot on the couple of shows that we reviewed he did uh, check it out, Pro Wrestling, uh, Pro W moments on Twitter, UWF, the final year episode two, a little plug there for you. Uh, but he just spoke like a human being and it was real. And it's like, okay, it's hit him and Terry Gordy in the main event. I'm in, I'm in. And it was great. And, and, and you don't, it doesn't always have to be about cracking gags and funny. It should be about realism sometimes like matt you're a big ufc fan sometimes the fighters it's just about real you buy into them and it's real and that is real and that is real life and that i think sometimes in wrestling there's a big space for just realism and sounding like a human i think i mean look at look at austin until 2001 his promos were entirely business i'm about yeah. story i'm about the motion i'm about i want to win this match i want to beat you up i dislike you i hate you whatever i'm going to stump a mud hole on you it's entirely within the confines of kayfabe it's entirely within the story now good promos are seen as the ones that break the fourth wall and are about something else and it's just like no that's not that doesn't, doesn't inspire you to buy a pay-per-view to watch a match between two people it doesn't that doesn't work sorry we've gone on a bit of a tangent there but basically I, I wanted to talk about the undertaker because you know for me as i say the things you mentioned whilst entirely fair i don't think mattered so much and, and i've said it many times i just don't think it mattered much back then matt what did you think of the match i think you might be surprised about this now match of the night let, let me introduce you to my match of the night <laughs> oh wow which is something i never in my wildest dreams thought i would say about a fucking diesel match but to give them their credit oh, this was pretty bloody good when i first saw it i, I was like okay diesel this i was like i can't say that's a match that i can recall seeing ever let, let alone multiple times so to me this felt brand new so i was like all right okay diesel undertaker that's that's probably that should probably be a, a relatively decent big man match and 
slightly exceeded my expectations. Not the match of the year candidate or anything like that, but it, it just felt like the story they were trying to go with is that Diesel was giving The Undertaker the biggest fight he'd ever had. You know, they were like, oh, you know, on commentary, sounded like, oh my God, nobody's ever kicked Taker's ass like this before. And then he comes back, overcomes the odds and wins. Do you know what? Simple, to the point. I thought the fact that he actually was able to execute a tombstone on him was bloody brilliant. The only sort of gripe I've got is that and Diesel did look like the world's most stupid wrestler uh, when he did the, the jackknife power bombs and literally just stood there for what felt like 20 minutes each time. Like, okay, you fucking pin the guy, you know. <laughs> By all means, you know, if you're going to taunt or whatever for a little bit, all right, but... The fact that he did it twice, he just looked like a dick. But other than that, I thought this was actually pretty good. And I quite enjoyed it. So, well, well done to both of them. They, they highly exceeded my expectations. I am going to agree with the polar bear. Yes! I'm devastated. It's not my match of the night. My match of the night is the main event, which you both disliked. But this is the second best match of the night for me. And I think it's pretty decent. I think they do a good job. The Undertaker, they go at a faster pace than the Undertaker did at the time I mean the other thing is I've got the real benefit of having watched lots of the Undertaker matches of this time and most of them being absolute turd like completely through the floor turd Bundy being example of we reviewed recently but also that same year Kama even IRS to be honest his match with Yokozuna at the Survivor Series was pretty fucking horrendous too they just served up lots and lots of bad opponents for the Undertaker and it was only really this year when they started giving him something else so Brett he obviously faced Brett at the Rumble and then he fought Diesel here which Diesel not an amazing wrestler at all but with a degree of being over for a start was a, was, a, was a good start anyway for the undertaker and also a former world champion who meant something who was marginally a draw i guess you could argue all of that stuff for me was a good thing for the taker and i thought this was a a, a decent contest with seeing as you said matt seeing you know undertaker go up for the powerbomb twice seeing undertaker do the tombstone on diesel which again if you've seen him do it on kane and various other people it's not so impactful but at the time he didn't tend to do it because all of his big all his opponents were too big for him to do it to so again here to see him do that i just thought it was a pretty decent match not incredible by any stretch of imagination but very passable and for an undertaker match at this time easily the best thing he'd done probably in the promotion because even the match with brad had a really stupid silly ending um at rumble 96 it's probably the best match he'd had so far in the company which doesn't say a huge amount but i think it probably was Stephen is absolutely disgusted with us. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Subjective. <laughs> it's art, isn't it? It's art. It's subjective. I mean, some of this stuff isn't art. Let's be fair, Stephen. <laughs> um, some of it's just nonsense. But this was all right. There's an interesting thing as well about Diesel. So Diesel, first of all, had resigned by this point. Had handed his notice, was going to WCW. Um, also, he was playing one of the first tweener characters that WWF had, had done, really. So even though I guess he really was a heel because he was facing mainly baby faces, they kind of allowed him to try to portray it a little more like a tweener than they had done previously. Mm. This was the first time when they kind of experimented with it because Diesel had been the world champion for all 95, turned heel really at the end of Survivor Series 95 when he attacked Brett after Brett had beaten him. But they allowed him to sort of court the cheers of the fans in a way that they hadn't done with any other hills before. So that was an interesting part of it. And you could see why people would cheer for him. There was a degree of, cool's not the word, but adult about him. There was a there was a yeah. degree of actually this guy appeals to me on a more of a mature <laughs> in more of a mature way than maybe your average comic book hero or villain does. Yeah, I definitely see that. Yeah. So 
<clears throat> we're nearly there, guys. We're, we're nearly at the end of Stephen's uh, ordeal. I feel like he went through to watch this show, which, I, which you know, as you, you can probably tell from me, I didn't feel much of an ordeal going through it. But, you know, there you go. So we next get Todd Pettengill at security control, watching the monitors for the arrival of Goldust and Roddy Piper. They arrive and then the camera switch to live action and the two cars in the arena. Piper chases Goldust into in front of the crowd. Big chance for Rowdy as they come out in front of the crowd. And then we get what's left of this Hollywood backlot brawl, which ends effectively with Piper stripping Goldust of his Goldust suit um, to reveal Goldust wearing women's underwear underneath and stockings and suspenders and then marlena covering him up and the two of them running away matt do we really have to talk about this turd of a match oh god you know that yeah that this this just wasn't even a match it was just a yeah it was just an excuse to undress goldest and show him off in god forbid he's in ladies underwear Oh my God, the horror! There was no, there, there was no need for the, you know, God forbid, Golas is trying to kiss him, and oh my God, that's awful, and you know, Golas gets on top of him, straddles him, and uh, I just, it's <laughs> what the fuck? It, people are going to be listening to this thinking, what the hell is he talking about? See, seriously, yeah, this sucked. Don't bother with it again. I've said this before on the podcast. Don't watch this match. Just listen to us talk about it. That's all you need. I think the majority of our listeners will have already seen it, Matt, so don't worry about that. Cool. If you're watching it for the first time, skip it. You heard it from the polar bear. Next. Matt, the bit that you were just describing there, I know that Ben refers to his coffee table book uh, sometimes, and I'm going to refer to a bit of some of you, your favorite not mine i never i never say anything positive about this guy ever ever i never bring him up on the podcast so your favorite ever wrestling journalist wrote this about that section of the match is this going to make me not like dave and i and i quote gold can't even speak let's, let's start that again all right and mike morrow <laughs> yeah sorry morrow <laughs> And I quote, Goldust got on top of Piper, basically attempting to screw him and wanted to start kissing him. Was he attempting to screw him? That wasn't the version of WrestleMania 12 I saw, Dave. This is absolutely the sort of thing your mum would walk in on you while you were watching without any doubt. Without You talked about this on the show before, Matt, 100%. Piper had a roll of tape hanging from his hand for this whole thing, which was really distracting. And this was, as I said earlier on, horrible undertones largely horrible action and another horrible part of a horrible wrestlemania and there was no finish awful 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 i mean first of all yes all the homophobia (laughs) is still absolutely dreadful no good and what they do in the ring is not very good either piper is old and not got it anymore if, if he ever had it matt sorry about that although I, do, I will say in fairness that he in 1987 wrestlemania 3 it was his retirement match so i think a lot of his career happened before wrestlemania in fairness to him and said that piper was super over it super popular with the fans they absolutely fucking air everything up he did in fact i would go as far to say he was the most over man on the show quite frankly yeah he probably was yep and wwf rather than signing the ultimate warrior probably should have done themselves a favor and spent more money on roddy piper because he would still be a box office draw against hogan later in the year for wcw so as much as you know i i get it it's not good it's not good it's terrible bad taste awful stuff piper is a piper was a star still a star really big star in, the, in front of a wrestling crowd and they really loved him and i think i think that would have been a better way for vince to go than the warrior ultimately but there we go i judge them for it i judge them <laughs> for lucky piper <laughs> you should absolutely judge them for what gold dust does or the gold dust character in this match 
Um, and you can judge Piper for the quality, but you can't judge him for however he is with the crowd because he really is. It's ridiculous. In all fairness, he really was. There is a sign in the crowd just after this match. There's a sign in the crowd which says, "Haha, Daniel, I'm here. You're not." <laughs> and that is the final note I've got on this show because we've already covered all of the Iron Man match stuff. So uh, we have got to the end of it. So let's let's get your scores out of ten. I'm going to start with Matt because I'm quite worried about Stevens is going to be. So Matt, why don't you uh, tell us yours? I, I don't think mine is going, be, is going to be as low as Stevens for sure. Um, th- this was all right. There, there was enough on you that, that made it relatively watchable. I, I can't say I'm going to be, you know, in a hurry to watch it ever again. But, you know, if somebody said you're watching that, okay, eh, okay why not? Because of that, I think I'm going to go with... Let's put the difference. Let's call it a five. I'll give it a five out of ten. I think it's probably worth about that. For match of the night again, I've already said Diesel Undertaker. I don't think I'll ever give Diesel a match of the night again, but hey, who knows? Hell may freeze over once again. As for my MVP of the night, that's an interesting one. You know what? Screw it. Again, why not? I'm going to go for it. I don't think I'll ever do it again. I felt did a cracking job. Diesel, MVP of the night. There you go. Oh. Love it. So before Stephen, I'm coming to you. We'll come to you. I'm going to give mine because I'm I'm quite close to Matt in my kind of appraisal of the show. And again, bear in mind that I thought the main event. I I like the main event more than Matt. I'm giving this a six out of ten as a show. I thought the main event, as I said, is it in Bret Hart's top ten matches? Probably not. But Bret Hart had a lot of very very good matches, and I don't think that this is below very good. I think this is very good. It's not classic, and you would hope he would get classic out of Michaels. It doesn't happen, but it's very good. So I'm giving it a six out of ten. My MVP is uh, MVP is Roddy Piper because for me he's the most successful thing on this show in terms of if the name of the game is to feel like a star, be over with the crowd, get the emotional attachment from the crowd. Nobody does it like Piper does during the show. He is easily the MVP when it comes to the core point of a pro wrestling show. So he's my MVP. Everything under the main event. So Warrior Triple H was. Well, a minute and a half. So what can you what can you do with that? The Roddy Piper gold this match was was silly, but as I said, it, it got probably more reaction than anything else did over the course of the night. The opening six man was pretty decent. Austin Vega was okay. Diesel Undertaker was far better than I thought it was going to be. I give at least the two or three of them a, a, a above average, if you like, um, and I give the main event way way above way way above average. So yeah, six out of ten for me. And I'm looking forward to what Stephen, how different Stephen's appraisal of the show is going to be. I'm shocked, is all I can say. I found this really difficult to rate because there's not anything on it that I could say with good faith to someone that they should watch. And I think if you're a WWF, WWE completist, then I think you'll probably want to watch Brett and Sean. Um, But you could really spend an hour doing anything better than this, I would say. (laughs) Just do something else. Literally just watch television and not being on. And that would probably be as entertaining as that match. Certainly the first (laughs) half of it. Um, Just think about nice, nice places you've been to on holiday or something like that. I've written in my notes. I wouldn't necessarily put the put the match on both men. But actually what we've talked through, I actually think, Ben, you you were right. I think it's probably a combination of kind of under believing in themselves in terms of what they can do. and Maybe some conditioning as well. But I thought that 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 and the way it was you know put together and the booking of the match and and the finish which I, which is, I guess is on Vince was just not right for the moment at all and i think i had a better time watching wrestlemania 2 and wrestlemania 9 than this which i both i gave 3 out of 10 to so i've gone really backwards and forwards to whether get to give it a 2 a show devoid of much star power in front of a quiet and uninterested crowd for quite a lot of it yeah i if we did half marks, I think I'd go two and a half. And I think that the main event and the opener would are really the only things in this that are okay. Even though my match of the night is Warrior and Triple H because it didn't last very long. 
I'm going two, two out of ten. I'm not going up. I'm not going to round it up. Two out of ten. And the MVP is the timekeeper had his face kicked off. And I wish I'd had my face kicked off just before this so I wouldn't have had to watch it. It's amazing. Love it. Absolutely love it. Great stuff. I mean, that's great. That's what we want, right? We want that kind of real contrast of opinions. I, I, that's, all, that's what controversy creates cash, as Eric Bischoff <laughs> once named a book after so yeah love it so that gives us an average rating of 4.33 and i'm just very quickly trying to figure out where that sits in our kind of ranking of the wrestlemanias that we've covered to this point so it is only us not far it's quite way up up the list actually thanks to mine and matt's uh rating so bottom is still wrestlemania 2 second bottom wrestlemania 11 then wrestlemania 4 wrestlemania 9 wrestlania 1 then wrestlemania 12 so it's probably going to end up i'd say lower end of the middle in the end disgusting disgusting (laughs) but it's not it's it's below six seven five eight three and ten so it's below quite a few yeah Um, the the only ones below it are the ones that most people do struggle with in fairness so i think i think it's probably about where it should be just incidentally i also as i've said before kind of have cage match as a tie break when the average rating's the same so i've noted the cage match rating and that's 5.75 out of 10 average rating and the brett match brett sean 8.09 i think was the rating that i i read earlier on based on 252 votes so i think it's one that splits people i really do because i think there's some people who i think rightly look at it and go it's boring and then Mm. other people who arguably also rightly go yeah but it's an hour-long match and it's really hard to do and they do actually have a decent it's actually a really good effort it's just not brett and sean level effort almost Mm. i think it does get penalized for being them put it that way i think if this match had happened between two lesser individuals i think people would go easier on it well that just about sums everything up we need for wrestlemania 12 so i will let you both go Stephen, thank you for your contributions today thank you and i cannot wait for something better in my near future and matt thank you for joining us this evening it is a pleasure to not have to talk about roddy piper wrestling at wrestlemania again we'll be back again uh next not next week but next time with another wrestlemania review wrestlemania 13 we're on to now we're getting very very close to that dude era it's all starting to kick off in fact wrestlemania 13 was the first one i remember having an 18 rated on the vhs so that's very exciting and do you know um, ben they cut the steve austin match and the legion of doom match out of the sky replay of wrestlemania 13 good goodness me what were they up to there crikey um well we're looking forward to that one anyway uh but until then take care